You know, really quickly, Don Gordon, would you stand up for a second? Don is right here, and Don is going to stand back up. They can't see you that quick. <laughs> Don is going to be leading our discipleship class. I'll be filling in as a sub. So, any questions? If he will, he's always back eating donuts after this service over here. So, if you just go find Don, he'll answer any questions you guys might have. But we hope a lot of you will turn out because that is one of our callings: is to go and make disciples, isn't it? Well, it is good. It's always a joy um, to teach. I often use the term like uh, this, by this time, um, I'm like a horse on a racetrack. Let that bell go down, let the gate open, and out I am. And that's coming from somebody that has never been to a horse race. So I want to clarify that because some of you are just going, does one of our pastors gamble at the horse track? I do not. Okay. But anyway, um, We're going to go into some different passages this morning, and so if you want to make your way to Timothy, the book of Timothy, that's going to be our first landing this morning, and then I'll take you through some as we go. That's why we didn't read a passage this morning. But when you were younger, I want to start with an illustration to kind of get us into where we're going to head this morning. Every one of us in this room had one thing in common when we were younger, and unfortunately, some of you are older now, and you still might have this in common. And that is not doing what you were told to do. Amen? (laughs) All of us do that. Yeah, I wish we didn't do it, but we did it as kids. And and the consequences could vary depending on what your disobedience was as a kid, right? I mean, it could be varied from, you know, go to your room or whatever. And of course, I grew up in the point time when it could mean something across the rear end. And, you know, and so, but... um, What we didn't understand as kids is we didn't understand that by repetition, we learn. By repetition, we actually learn. And so if you think of these examples, like riding a bike, uh, very few of you, if any of you, took off on a bike the first time and rode it. It took you a while, maybe even training wheels. I remember with my son, um, he was on training wheels and he was the younger one. And we lived in a neighborhood of the cul-de-sac and there's all these kids that were riding their bikes. And he had a little bike. It was really kind of cool. And I'm watching him one day just zipping around and the training wheels weren't touching. I said, come here. And I'm taking off his training wheels and you can see this look of fear coming over his eyes. Like, what are you doing, dad? I said, now go. And he just took off and rode because he had already been riding. He didn't realize he didn't need the training wheels anymore. But it was repetition, isn't it? that teaches us to ride a bike, or how about swimming? Very few of us can just jump into the water and swim great. Um, Some of us will actually sink, but swimming takes time. Um, Or how about writing? And today that's a lost art, isn't it? I mean, I don't have the greatest penmanship in the world, but trust me, there are people that have way worse penmanship than I do, but it's a lot of art. We don't even teach kids what cursive is anymore in school and how to write in that anymore. Um, You could go into sports and anyone who achieves a high level in sports, they will tell you it is by repetition and repeating that that is a huge part of success. Practice, practice, practice. The same thing over and over and over again brings success. You might be surprised if at some point, um, I'd be surprised if at some point you haven't heard from either a parent or a grandparent or somebody that cared about you, these sayings. Do you remember? Um, don't forget. Uh, why didn't I, what did I tell you the other day? Or did you forget what I told you? Kind of remember, brings back memories, doesn't it? And those words by those who care had to do with repetition and reminding 
doing that which is important. And it shouldn't surprise you, the minute I say this, you'll go, no, it won't surprise me. If in the word we find the exact same thing, that God gives us these exhortations to remember, to repeat, repetition over and over and over again. I'm in the book of Exodus right now in my daily reading. And every time I read the book of Exodus, I'm amazed of how fast the people just forget what God had just done. So I'm in the part where, you know, they're begging for food and he had just brought them through the Dead Sea and everything else. And they go, it would have been better if we died in Egypt. You know, I'm just going, don't you remember what he just did? You know, but we, he does that constantly. So let me show you some scriptures. In 2 Kings 17, 13, we find it says, yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet, every seer, and that then tells you all the prophets through the years, all the seers through the years saying, Turn from your evil ways, keep my commandments and my statutes in accordance with all the law that I command your fathers and that I sent to you by my servant, the prophets. And the New English translation, the NET says, I ordered your ancestors to keep this law, sent my servants, the prophets, to remind you of its demands, see? Another passage is in Romans. And of course, we know Paul did this a lot, quite uh, uh, honestly. In Romans 15, 15, it says, but, it's, but on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God. And then one you might know really well is in 2 Peter 1, 12. Therefore, I intended always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. And so this morning, I want us to look at four things. I'll be surprised if they are not, they're, they're not new to us. They're going to be things that you've heard before. But I wanted this morning to introduce, go the way we did to get to this point, to remind you that we need reminders. We make a mistake at sometimes when we think that I need the new thing. You know, I need the new insight. I need the latest thing. And nothing could be further from the truth. You that are my age, you understand that, don't you? It's as we get older, we realize I don't need all that clamor that makes its noise in my life. I just need to do what I know I'm supposed to do, and I've heard it a hundred times. And so this morning, that's what I want us to do. I want to look at some things that I know you've heard before and by way of reminder, that's why I titled the message today, A Reminder, that God will speak to you. And so the four things are going to be this. Do you have a passion to truly live for Jesus? How are you handling the craziness that we are now living in, in our world, in our times? Is loving others a priority for you? And how present is the Holy Spirit in your life? So first of all, Go to that Timothy passage. I want you to go to 2 Timothy. I'm sorry, I didn't tell you what book. 2 Timothy, and we're going to go to chapter 1, and we're going to look starting at verse 3. But this has to do with, do you have a passion to truly live for Jesus? So look at 2 Timothy, and chapter 1, verse 3 through 7. Paul says, I thank God whom I serve, as did, all, all, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. If I'm reminded, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois 
and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Now watch verse 6. For this reason I remind you, to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And so 2 Timothy is this letter that Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy was Paul's son in the Lord. Timothy has been left behind in Ephesus, and he is overseeing that church. Paul is now in his second imprisonment. He will not come out this time. He will be beheaded this time. So that gives this letter and what we just read even a greater emphasis, doesn't it? You could hear that in Paul as he writes it. But Paul was always the disciple maker. This guy, we'd call him today a church planter. That's what he did. He planted churches. He made disciples. And he seeks to encourage Timothy in the work, doing anything that he can, even from a distance, see, to help this son of his who is his son in the Lord. And Timothy faced enormous responsibilities in leading the church. I can't imagine in those days, you and I have the history of hundreds of years of the church in existence. So when we are part of a church or somebody plants a church, we have so much uh, to go along with us to help us. But Timothy faced these responsibilities um, like he, very much like the times we lived in, um, it was a tremendous challenge of these worldly pressures that were upon the church in those days. And so Timothy's passion for serving the Lord was vital. It's important to Paul. And that's why we read, look at verse 6 again, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. Now let me say something real quick. Don't make the mistake of thinking that having a passion for the Lord is only important to those that are in full-time ministry. You will not find that distinction made in Scripture. We are all to have a passion for the Lord. We are either on fire for him or we're not on fire for him. That's where we're supposed to be. And so when he says what he does is, it is speaking to you and I get. The word there is stir up. I think that's a new King James and the King James. Uh, I think the NIV will use fan into flame. It's exactly what it says. It's the idea of blowing on embers or a small flame in order to get that flame bigger. And if you've ever built a fire, you've done that right? I find that diesel fuel works good too, okay? I did that this winter. I was building a fire out back and my son-in-law was over and I came out with a can. I said, don't worry, it's not gas, it's diesel. <laughs> anyway, some of you will understand that, some of you won't. But, um, and I, I shouldn't have said that because now some of you are going to try diesel. Someone's going to get burnt. They're going to come back on me and everything else. But anyway, but Paul wanted that gift God had given him to grow and accomplish as much as possible. That gift that had been put on Timothy, and for Timothy, that gift was probably this. It was probably pastoral administration and care. It was teaching of the word. It was boldly proclaiming the gospel. And Paul sees himself as that one that is blowing on Timothy's life along with the spirit, and he wants that thing just to explode in Timothy that Timothy could be as effective as possible in the main ministry. And like I said, the same is true for every believer. God has given you and I a gift. I think in most cases, God has given us more than one gift. He wants those used to the fullest possible extent. 
He didn't give you a gift just so you could tell other people I have the gift of. He gave you that gift that you would use that gift that he's given you to minister to others, right? And, and don't think we'd be wrong that applying this fanning into flame that Paul's talking about to our passion and our service for Jesus as well. God never intended our Christianity to be defined by church membership or church attendance only. Never was that the intent. Jesus is our example. You want to know what your life should look like? Look at the scriptures. Look in the gospels. Look at Jesus' life. And that's what our life is supposed to be like too. There's supposed to be this active participation, if you will. We're to be in the word. We're to be praying. We're to be hearing from the Father. But we're to be moving forth in action, serving the Lord, doing those things that he would have us do with the gift or the, gift that he, the gifts that he has given us. And, and so... That is what you and I are to do. With Jesus, look at Jesus. It was giving, wasn't it? It was sacrificing. It was getting dirty. It was carrying others' burdens. It was hard yet blessed work. And we're to do the same. If we are only looking for the thing that we want to do, then we're, we're not listening in the right way. Oftentimes, God will call you to the thing that you weren't thinking about doing. The thing, once you're thinking about it, you realize, I can't do this. And upstairs, God is going, great, I got you right where I want you. Because so often we'll depend on our human abilities and our human strengths. And God doesn't want that. God wants us to depend on him and to move forth. And don't miss Paul was, wasn't saying, Timothy, you can do this in your own strength. That's not there. The gift of God that it speaks of here, you can't talk about a gift of God in this context without understanding that is a gift of God given by the Holy Spirit of God. It's a gift of the Spirit. And so it's a work of the Spirit. One author said, Paul knew the Holy Spirit required our willing cooperation to fill and enable us. And so how do we fan into flame then that gift that we have, those gifts that we have? Well, let me give you some examples. Well, first of all, by using your gift. Isn't that funny? Sometimes the answer is so obvious that we go, oh, really? That's how we do it? Yeah. Just start using your gift or the gifts. Serving if the God, God has given you the gift of serving. Um, and by the way, even if you don't have the gift of serving, we're called to be servants. So that kind of fits in every one of us. Caring, loving, loving in deeds, right? How about not losing sensitivity to the Holy Spirit? That's an important thing as well. Or godly habits and practices like always being in the word, in prayer. Can I say something by way that some of you are going to go, huh? And some of you are going to be encouraged by this. So right now in my reading, I'm in the book of Job. I find the book of Job one of the hardest books for me to read and get into, but I still read it. Every day I'm going through it. I'll be honest with you if I can, that I'm counting the chapters. I know how many more I got before I get out of Job, you know? And some of you, I, my brother thinks Job is the book, greatest book in the world. I look at him and go, what planet are you from? But don't get me wrong. I'm not dim diminishing the word of God. But what I'm trying to say to you is that we want to be in the word because the word will then get in us and through prayer. That's, again, how we flame into fire. And how about not letting ourselves grow cold or lukewarm? 
You know, that we have to take responsibility a lot of the time when all of a sudden our walk isn't what it's supposed to be. And we might be cold or lukewarm in a way. We, we'd like to blame other people or other things or other circumstances. No, usually we are the one that has started to leave our first love. And so we need to take that responsibility. And so let me remind you this morning that God's heart for you is to have a passion for him. And it has nothing to do whether or not you are in full-time ministry or not. He wants you to have a passion for him. If you are a mom and you find yourself at home and your day at home is pretty much raising your children, let me tell you, we, we watch three grandkids every afternoon. My wife watches them more than I do. And I understand now, I'm reminded why we have kids when we're young, okay? But you understand, that's a chore, but love them with passion. Pray for them with passion. Think beyond just the moment and the dirty diaper and the mess and the disobedience. And think of what they might become someday, how God might use them. I was sitting here this morning and I was looking, I sit over here and I was looking across at all you. And I had this thought, I said, Lord, never in a million years when I graduated from high school did I see this picture this morning. It, was a, it, was, it wasn't even on my mind. It wasn't lasting on my mind. It wasn't on my mind. And yet here I find myself, you know, before people teaching, you know. And so again, we want to understand that God wants us to have that passion for him. And so I encourage you with that. Second, how are we handling the craziness of the world? Go to the book of Romans, chapter 12. I'll give you a second to get there because I want you to look at it. If you didn't bring your Bible, you could open up your Bible on your phone. Maybe the person next to you will let you have it. But look at Romans 12. And you know these two verses when I read them, but I want you to show you something interesting in these verses. In verses 12, 1 and 2, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by the testing of you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't think any of us would disagree that our world is changing. And for many of us, we'd say it's not changing for the better. Now, I would put a little sub thing in there to remind us that don't just see everything in the world or everything that's going on as it's just so bad and negative. There, God is working. God is moving. God is doing stuff in this world. You know, nothing has caught him off guard. But when we look at it, we realize our world is headed in a very interesting direction, isn't it? We would definitely, it's not in accordance with living and honoring God. We would say godliness is on the decrease and ungodliness is on the increase. Um, by the Spirit, then, Paul was right when he said in 2 Timothy 3.1, in the last days, there will come times or times of difficulty. And he went on to describe in that passage in 2 Timothy 3, all that the age is going to look like. We're there. I think Ken a couple of weeks ago was in this passage. And so we're there about what our world's going to look like in those days. The word difficult is an inter interesting word here in your passage. I think these are important to understand. We want to we chew on the scriptures. We want to chew on it to understand what it means. Difficult there means it, it can be defined as it will be dangerous and fierce times. And I think we are seeing those times now. These are dangerous days we live in, if you want to say, for the believer. They are dangerous days with just the lack of justice that we see taking place and the craziness going on. And they are fierce, aren't they? 
It's intense out there. And for one who loves God, the NIV is right on here where it says there will be terrible times. That's how it interprets that. That's what we live in. And that can take us in several directions, can it? It can depress us and admit it has depressed me over the last several years. It can make us lose hope. It can fill us with despair. It can cause us to lack and lack faith and lack trust in the Lord. Um, It can even cause us to become angry, right? And it can even make some walk away from Christianity and walk away from their relationship with Jesus Christ because of what we see going on. And if we go that way, listen to this, if we go that way of despair and no hope and abandonment and saying, I've had it with Christianity, I want you to know something. You are not being biblical. That is not the way we're to go. We are not living as the Lord would have us live if we go that way. And notice then in these verses, in verse one, it goes right along with my first point about having a passion for the Lord, where Paul says here, present your bodies as living sacrifices to God. In other words, give him your life. The idea there in part is give him your entire being. Give him everything you are. So what is that? That means your energy. That means uh, your abilities. That means your mind, your thoughts, just everything you are, give it to the Lord, use it for the Lord. And that's part of the idea that's being talked about here. Bodies, this is interesting here. Bodies, when he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, part of our bodies is the physical sight, isn't it? And I thought about this. What better thing to do to keep us from going the ways of the world, from letting our flesh take us in directions that we shouldn't go, than giving your life completely to God, then the flesh is under his control as well. See? That's why Paul says, present your bodies everything you are to the Lord. And verse two, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this wouldn't be with worldly things. You're not to transform yourself with worldly wisdom and worldly ideas, but with the truth found in God's word by the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we need, don't we? We want that work of God in our lives. We want that to grow. Verse 2 says, look at the other thing, when it says, do not conform to this world. This is an interesting word, conformed. Again, it means much more. It is exactly what you think it means. But the idea there, if you you were to look it up, it just means to the patterns and mold of the world is the idea. To be fashioned by or like the world. To conform one's mind and character to the world. To conform to the same pattern. Um, Zodiades, in his complete word studies, says an expanded rendering might be stop being molded by the external and fleeting fashions of this age, but undergo a deep inner change. I like that. When I hear that, I go, Lord, I want it. I want it. You know, Lord has done a work in my life, but I'm not done. You know, is there more, Lord? Is there more depth you want to go? Then bring it, Lord. And listen to J.B. Phillips. Do you know that translation? J.B. Phillips uh, was a pastor years ago, and he did a translation of the New Testament. Listen to what he says of Romans 12 too. Do let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within. And that is such a good rendering, you guys. If you write in your Bible, you should write the word squeeze right there by conform. 
Because I think that all of a sudden brings such... Conform, we could see it as so polite and proper, right? I will not conform. I will just walk with the Lord. You know, but what the other way is if you see squeeze, squeeze, is like, oh, I'm being squeezed by something, see? And how important that is that we understand that. The truth is we all have had this happen when we become consumed at times with what's going on in this world. But verse 2 could not be any clearer when it says, do not be conformed. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed by the world. And it's possible. It is absolutely possible. It really has to do with your passion, your focus. It just has to, it has to do with what does your daily life look like? And if your daily life looks like one that is loving the Lord, concerned of the Lord, about the Lord, you will not be squeezed by the world as if you're not doing that. Let me give you three passages that I think you could take and say, okay, these three passages will help you and could keep you from conforming to the, the world. First one is Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And you'll see it come up on the screen. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of God. The NIV says, I like the NIV here. It says, fix your eyes on Jesus. The NET says, keeping our eyes on Jesus. The idea there is don't take them off. And let me tell you, we will not be conformed to the things of this world if we keep our eyes on Jesus. And can I say this? We have to. It's almost this, if it's, not, it's not a neutral thing. If we are not keeping our eyes and our energy and everything we are on the Lord, it's as if the ways of the world is a, a river that is just going to sweep us that way. And so we have to be able to keep our eyes on the Lord that, if you will, we could swim upstream against all the stuff that's going on. Because that's what we need. If we are squeezed by the world and we are experienced defeat because of the world, we are not going to be the light that God would have us be. So it's so important. And again, it's not just an image of Jesus. It's keep your eyes on who he is, what he did, his position, where he's at right now, his ongoing work and ministry in the church and through you. Yes, through you. See, again, we forget. We always think it's somebody else that God's working through. And we don't realize, no, if you love the Lord, he wants to and will work through you. So important. You know, in sports, anybody that has played sports to a level that doesn't take much to play sports to a level higher than I ever played. But anyway, they'll tell you that your eye, your eyes, and your focus are crucial in sports. We've all watched the football game when the receiver gets the pass and before bringing it all the way in, he turns his head to look who's coming and he drops the ball. And that is so important. Nothing will hinder you more than if you're not looking where you're supposed to be looking and keeping your eyes where your eyes are supposed to be. You'll be off your game if you do. A couple more passages, Colossians 3, 1 and 2, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above and not on things of the earth. So again, a great reminder. That's where we're supposed to be. Our eyes on Jesus, seeking the things about God's kingdom. 
Okay? The one last one, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. If we'd be about that command, and by the way, that's interesting, isn't it? That's what this discipleship class is all about. We're working to help you as a church and as a body to realize that you have a calling upon your life. All of us are told to go and make disciples, to take somebody and pour our life into them and disciple them and then take another person and so forth. And I'll tell you, if you are doing this, if you are giving your time by fixing your eyes on Jesus, you're focused on the things of God, you're giving yourself to other people. You know, this week I was actually about ready to get out of my truck and one of the brothers in the church, Cliff, called me. And it was such a blessing because um, he wants, he's going to share in two weeks at our men's group about uh, something that's going on in his life. I don't want to say too much, but I'll say too much. Okay. So Cliff um, had a real heart for Camp Hope and what was going out by the freeway. And I'm sure many of us had attitudes about that whole thing that probably, uh, we'll just leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you whether your attitude was good or bad. You already know. Um, but Cliff had a a dream one night, he was supposed to go out there and start a Bible study. And of course, I know where I'm headed this Sunday, right? So I know what I'm talking about, about loving the spirit, all that type of stuff. And I'm just listening to him talk. I go, Cliff, this is awesome. So he went out there and he was talking to one of the ladies that oversees that work out there. You've heard her on news and stuff like that. But he was talking to her, he says, I'd just like to come out and serve donuts and um, I'd like to do a Bible study. And he said, I imagine you have a bunch of Bible studies going on. And she said, how many do you think we have going on? And she said, we have zero. Zero. So here's this brother. You would no more be able to pull Cliff out of the crowd than if you had to. It's nothing about him. He doesn't walk in the room and go, oh, there's a, a Bible study teacher of the homeless. <laughs> but he's out there. And he's doing it. And it's so encouraging to see that. And so he's doing that making disciple thing, isn't he? And so... To go back to the question, how are you handling the squeezing of the world? Is the world squeezing you? Just be honest with yourself right now. We're not going to have to have a public time of confession. But I know in a congregation of this size, there are some of us that the world is squeezing us right now. And our focus is where it really shouldn't be. Maybe we're letting too much input on that side of stuff come into our life, and it just is nothing but discouraging. Listen, let the input of God come into your life and you will not be discouraged. But as believers, are you allowing to, it to do what God never intended it to do? What is going on in our world right now is not catching God by surprise. But God has a way that he wants you and I to live as believers, to walk as believers. And to be squeezed by the world is not in his plan. And that's why I think Paul gave this reminder to, to, to the Romans. And let me remind you this morning that keep your eyes on Jesus. Get in the word every single day. Be about the kingdom. Be about reaching and making disciples. The third thing, it's just going to get more convicting as we go along, okay? <laughs> Have you come to expect that from me? Okay. So go to Matthew now. So Matthew 22 and at verse 34. Would you turn there? Matthew 22, 34. And so in Matthew, the next point is loving others a priority in your life. Again, you've heard this before, but a reminder. Matthew twenty-two thirty-four. 34, it's, um, 
it says, but the, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great, 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 greater command, the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. One of these two command on these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets. So let me ask you a question. Have you found that with all the political correctness and unbiblical stuff going on, the pressure to conform by the majority that it has affected your love for others? Now, I'll be honest with you, I have found that to be true. That I see the nonsense going on and I find myself pulling back on my desire to want to reach a person or people, see? And so I think it's something that we all can relate to. But we also got to fight against that kind of attitude. To not love others isn't what God wants. And we're never going to reach people with the gospel and the good news and eternal life if we don't love others. It saddens me that over the last several years with everything that's gone on, how attitudes from believers can at times be anything but loving others. It is our call and how we are to reach the lost. I think several times, and I won't tell you where, my wife and I, my wife is not a coffee drinker, I am. So there's been several times that we have gone, we go to this Starbucks that's not too far from our home. And one day there's a young man that works there and he's transitioning, okay? So the first time we kind of looked at each other and kind of went, huh? And the next time it became clear he had transitioned more. And as I pulled away, I looked at my wife and I said, listen, as much as we disagree with that, it is those that we are to love and to accept. Not accept what they're doing or what they believe, but to love them. To show them that there's another way, that there is a, someone who could change their life. When Jesus said in verse 39, you should love your neighbor as yourself, word neighbor there includes those who might be different, who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Uh, the word literally means this. Listen to this. If you look this up in different Greek resources, that's what I did. It means this, neighbor, near near to, close by, to be near someone, the person next to one, any other person. And so while we might not like what is going on around us, Jesus says, love them in the same way that you love God and love them in the same way you love yourself. That's what that means there. And we are to love them. You know the passage in John 13, 34 and 5, a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Listen, the world takes notice when it sees a lack of love amongst believers. That is not the love we're supposed to be showing and the example we're supposed to be showing. They are to see the love we have for each other and realize what it is, what is it about them that makes them different. And if we think that passage is only that we're to love fellow believers, well, Luke 6, 27 and 8 says, but I say to you, Jesus speaking, who hear, love your enemies. 
Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. That's what we're to do. And if you're like me, you need to be reminded, don't stop loving others. Don't pull back from those who are different than you and believe differently than you. Such were some of us at one time. Amen? Watch your attitude. And any time it is less than loving, as Jesus would, rebuke yourself. We don't often say that. I just thought, I'm going to say that. You know? You need to be rebuked if you're not loving as you're supposed to be loved. And cry out to the Lord. Help me, Lord. Have we forgotten that incredible definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, and 7? Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endure all things. And then you know the passage. It ends at verse 13. Now, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest is love. And it's almost as if throughout the entire word, not, God has shown us his entire love for us. And then he says, and I want you to have that same love for others as well. And so fourthly then, let's go to this. How present is the Holy Spirit in your life? We will not be able to love others if we're not in God's word and the spirit is not working in our life. I, I, I'll read you this passage because I, I, I didn't want you to turn to it. You could. It's Zechariah 4, 6. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. The context is Zerubbabel is the governor of Jerusalem, and he's seeking to get the temple rebuilt. But um, there's all types of pressure going on. Um, Jerusalem, I, the Jews, a portion have come back from the exile. So he faces this opposition, but through Zechariah the prophet, the Lord shows him it would happen, but it's not going to happen. That's what this verse means. It's not going to happen by man's ability, but it's going to happen by God's spirit. And that's when the words come in, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. And I can remember the first time I heard those words back in the 80s. I've always reminded that God's work is to be done with God's spirit. God's work in us and through us is always to be done by the Holy Spirit working in cooperation with us. Or better put, we working in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. Paul reminds us in different passages in Galatians 5.16, but I say, walk by the Spirit. Galatians 5.20, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit. And do you know that means, if you don't, I'll remind you, it means to be filled on ongoing fillness. It's a be being filled. Always, constantly, your life is being filled by the Spirit. And our church is part of a movement, if you will, that understands this. We saw it work out in the 60s and the 70s as God, by His Spirit, in those early days, moved in amazing ways as hundreds and thousands of people came to the Lord. And can I remind you, and myself this morning, that the work of God in a church through its members can only be done as a spirit leads and as a spirit moves. We believe 
the third person of the Trinity at Calvary is the Holy Spirit. We believe the gifts of the Spirit are for today. Now, we don't believe the craziness that goes on sometimes in the name of the Holy Spirit is for today. But we believe the Holy Spirit is real. Why else did Cliff have a dream that God told him, go out and do a Bible study out there? And he went and the door was open for him to do a Bible study out there. And we believe God's Spirit works that way. And so I thought, what a great thing for us to understand this morning. You know, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6.12 says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, with whom you have from God? You are not your own. And it's easy to forget this, to take control ourselves and depend on our knowledge and our wisdom and our abilities and our experiences, but we leave the Spirit behind. But you and I who love the Lord must never forget, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. So that's my message for you. Four simple reminders, amen? How's your passion? And I, I can assure you, I say this because I say it before the Lord, is that as I ask you how your passion for the Lord is, that came out of the Lord asking me that about my passion for him. So I never preach something that I don't feel the Lord is working in my own life. But you guys, listen. We want to have lives that are on fire for the Lord, don't we? We don't want to just be going through motions. We want to have passion and love for Jesus. We want to fight against the world and the squeezing of that world on us. And that is, don't focus on that stuff, man. You know, be aware that it's out there. But you are to go there as a light and bring something different out there. Never let the love of Christ not exist in your life. And again, I would just say this to you, if that has happened, then it's okay. The Lord understands, but what I'd tell you is this, just say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Lately, I have not been thinking of others, and I have not been loving others as I should. And I've judged people, Lord, because of what they believe, what they stand for, and so forth and so on. I wish there was more time. I would tell you what I do in those situations. You know, I, I don't try to win every argument or seal every conversation at the time I'm having on the conversation. When I get into those conversations with someone that believes differently than I believe, I'm very sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading because I'm hoping that I'll, I'll say certain things, but I don't want that door to shut. And I want to keep that door open that I could keep pouring into that person's life more and more and more. And so... We want the love of Christ, and of course, we want the presence of the Holy Spirit. Do you think the work of God in our church, in you, in us as a Calvary Chapel, do you think it's a work of the past? Then that's not true. God is not done. God is being patient, it says in Scripture till all that can come into his kingdom. There's still more work to be done, isn't there? And here's the incredible thing. God does want to use you. You go, Scott, I can't, I'm not like you. I can't do that. Yeah, you can. You can, you're right. But as you're in his word and filled with his spirit, you can do that. So amen.